The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sudaman. Uh, I'm joining the podcast from Hong Kong, where, of course, I'm working from home. And I think this is a really well-timed podcast um, for all of our listeners, all of whom I, I assume are also working at home and all of whom are, of course, getting to grips uh, with the global COVID-19 pandemic. Pandemic. We're very lucky to be joined uh, on this podcast by three senior specialists from Ogilvy Asia Pacific PR and Influence. Uh, and in no particular order, we have Scott Cronick, uh, who's very well known as Chief Executive of PR and Influence at Ogilvy Asia Pacific. We have Michelle Ung, who's Executive Director at Ogilvy Singapore. And we have Simon Webb, who is Senior VP at Ogilvy Beijing. Welcome to all three of you. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Arun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank um, you for having us. Yeah, Scott. First of all, how um, how are you viewing this current crisis? Because, of course, you've been in Beijing, I assume, uh, since it all started. Um, so you have a, a pretty good vantage point. So I uh, um, uh, I've been living with this for quite a while. I'm actually not in Beijing at the moment, Arun. Uh, I left right before the Chinese New Year, and uh, because I had to do some travel, I didn't go back. And then now there's, uh, you know, quarantine issues on both sides wherever you travel. So I'm trying to figure that out. But uh, I, my, I have my wife is there, and uh, all my staff are there, and we've been managing on a day-to-day basis. So um, we've been living this for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm calling from the U.S. at the moment, where just moments ago, in California, uh, the governor has uh, kind of required everybody to stay at home. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's interesting to see it come full circle here. So um, yeah, uh, it's you know it, this is when we when we think about COVID nineteen in the area of um crisis management uh it's 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 a different animal than most crises we've been dealing with for for my time in asia i mean we've been through this once before with with sars and so we had some learning from there Mm. but it's a different type of a crisis actually it's not like any one particular person or company has done mm-hmm. something that you point the the fingers at, um, and so everybody's a bit of a victim here. And what really matters, at least in my experience, has been how how what what matters is how companies respond to it. Yeah, how are yeah. they responding? Are they timely? Are they transparent? Uh, are they um, uh, looking after uh, the people that really matter to them most, which are employees. So a lot of companies we've seen, uh, you know, who've said employees are their most important kind of asset 
they're really being put into the test in terms of do they really deliver on what they mean. So that's been interesting. Sure. So Michelle, you're you're based in Singapore, correct? Yes, that's right. Right. And and Simon, you're in Australia right now. Yes, normally based in Beijing, but normally, uh, a, a COVID nineteen refugee at the moment in Australia. Yeah. So Michelle, how's the situation um, from where you're sitting? Because I think for many in the world, they see Singapore as as almost a model for how to how to address it from at least from a governmental perspective. Um, we had our first case, um, a confirmed case of COVID nineteen, in Singapore on January twenty third. Um, and uh, the government, which has had a lot of experience dealing with SARS back in 2003, uh, responded very swiftly. Excuse me. And, um, and so there, there were measures put in place immediately um, to advise companies and individuals as to what they needed to do. And uh, when we saw, we, we saw initially a first escalation in the number of cases, but a couple of weeks later, after we, uh, the government went into what we call Dorscon Orange or Code Orange, um, you know, we saw the situation managed in a much more holistic uh, way. Um, companies were given advisories on what to do with employees and travel. Um, and there were lots of calls for, you know, people to really take care of their own health and how to do so. Um, so the, the government has been very much on the forefront of containment um, and, uh, and a lot of companies have followed these advisories. And we saw then a, a, a dip and we were having quite a number of days of single digit confirmed cases. But mm-hmm. then over in the past week or so, we've seen again an escalation in the number of cases to double digit cases confirmed every day yeah. for the past couple of, of days. And these have been from mm. imported cases primarily. Um, so people who are returning from their trips overseas or work trips overseas, um, a number of them are uh, infected. And so mm. now we're in a situation where, you know, we're again in heightened alert status. And this has also really impacted how companies respond. So many of the companies have, um, you know, gotten people to work from home in order to flatten the curve um, and, and, you know, basically reducing the risk by, by them traveling to and from work and being all together in, 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 in the same space. So many of us are working from home um, and, uh, and, and we're also looking at different ways in which we're responding, you know, in terms of meeting meeting partners, meeting clients, etc. So the, the response has been very much guided by what the government initiatives have been. But I think a lot of companies here are, you know, also having lived through SARS, um, very much more prompt in their response. It sounds very much like the situation in Hong Kong. Mm. I mean, I think a, a week ago, we felt here it was under control. So the, the daily rate was not growing, but but exactly as, as you've described, there's been a big surge in the last few days and all, all from people returning. Um, so it, this is obviously, it's a, it's a global crisis and in many ways it's, it's an unprecedented crisis. Now, all of you, all of you are um, very experienced in terms of helping corporates, uh, helping companies plan for, 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 for these types of situations. But amid 
this coronavirus? I mean, do, do you feel that corporate crisis plans are, are actually fit for purpose, given the responses you've seen from companies? So maybe I can uh, address that first, Arun. Um, you know, uh, in some uh, crazy way, the one fortunate consequence in all of what's transpired, if there's any fortunate consequence, is that communications is taken front and center to that of marketing. Mm. It's less important to sell now. It's more important to keep everybody informed of what's going on. Mm. And I just feel like it's given a heightened importance to what all of us do as a profession. And uh, we always have a point of view on the role of communications, but, but um, in this particular circumstance, companies have had to communicate a lot more often and a lot more, uh, uh, a, a lot more frequently actually than they've had to in the past. And so um, I think it's given a heightened importance to what we do. Um, the, the old, again, the old crisis plans were trying to be open, transparent about uh, what's transpired from whatever crisis or issue that, tr that took place and what the company was doing about it. This issue, this issue is not necessarily pointing a finger at anybody in particular because every, everybody seems to be a victim. So it's more about what are you doing uh, about the constituencies that are most important to you mm -hmm. and, and how you're communicating with them. So it's, it's a bit of a different dynamic. Some of the same fundamentals uh, uh, are, are there, but uh, um, it, it's, a, it's a crisis of a different nature. Simon, did you want to uh, yeah, uh, comment on what you're seeing there? Yeah, one thing I was probably going to add is, to your point, Arun and Scott, about crisis plans, we often see, and we, we has, have a tendency, you know, we, we, the, the thing that people say about generals are always fighting the last war, and crisis mm -hmm. plans can often be built around... Um, the, the types of incidents that organizations have been through in the past and therefore feel most likely to them to happen again. Whereas what we try and do when we start to build our, our clients' capability to deal with crises, to become more resilient, is to try and change that mindset from focusing on the, um, the crises that they can most easily bring to mind. So getting past the availability bias uh, and really moving towards uh, a frame of mind which is about having the tools to be nimble, to move quickly, to to assemble the right groups of people together to respond. And so it, it's a skill set. So we, we, we often talk about, uh, to our clients, we often talk about build, uh, that our job is to help them build muscle memory so that in the moment where they're actually dealing with something, they're not having to think about who should I involve or what's the process here? It's that the, they've built all of this, all of the, that they've run through all of these tools, the practices, the processes, so that they're ready to, to act and to move ahead. And it's not, so we don't encourage them to necessarily focus exclusively on a, on a specific list of 
types of crisis that they might be facing. It's much more about a mindset and the skills to be able to move when they need to. And that we find mm. is really important. How much is this particular crisis, given that it does seem to be something that is so unforeseen, um, how much is that testing these kinds of, of, of skills and mindsets? Uh, hugely. I mean, th th this is not, depending on, your, on the organization, I mean, if you're an airline, for example, um, you're, you absolutely feel today like you're looking down the barrel of possibly the end of, the end of your existence. I mean, you, we've already seen a number of small carriers going bust and the bigger players, for example, must be feeling incredibly vulnerable. Um, that said, if you're a supermarket, on the other hand, or, you know, you're in a, a number of other sectors, you feel incredibly vital and central and your, your problem is not so much the lack of capacity, but actually managing uh, restrictions, trying to do your best to make sure that you're dealing with uh, customers in an equitable fashion and that you keep, uh, you, know, you keep the shelves stocked as much as you can. Um, I, I think the, the challenge is very, very much across across sectors, but I, I'm pretty certain that there'd be very few people running these organizations now that could point to something in their recent history that has challenged them in, in this way. I mean, this, this, this I think, is, is entirely unprecedented. So it's just about uh, n not drawing on anything you, you probably got, you, you got in your bottom drawer in terms of the scenario plan as much as making sure that you bring the right people within your organization together, take a flexible approach to how it is that you're going to deliver your product or service and keep your employees top of mind, uh, your customers uh, very clearly uh, as a focus as well. And also make sure that you manage all of your relationships with people like the government, uh, NGOs. There, there, there are lots of moving parts here. Um, and I'm sure organizations are, as I say, being, being stressed in ways they've never seen, they never felt they had to. I, I think the one difficulty here is that, uh, you know, they, they usually they, in, in the crisis management, they say sometimes you can't, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you do about it. And, um, and, I think, you know, I haven't seen a ton of blunders. We've seen some, you know, a few missteps here and there, but not mm -hmm. a lot of blunders. People are doing, I've been collecting every single service provider's uh, letter that they've written related to this. And they mm -hmm. all kind of, they, they all are care and concern and they, they set the right tone. Mm -hmm. I think the big challenge is, in this particular case, you, it's hard to see, you know, every, no one wants to commit to when we're going to come out of this <laughs> mm. and, and what life is going to be like in a month or two months or three months down the line. I mean, everybody's hopeful, as am I, that soon as summer comes, this is going to dissipate because of whatever science there is that it, it can't exist in the heat or whatever, whatever you've heard around those types of areas. But it's hard to build plans without an end in sight, mm. basically.
there are no good answers right now, I guess, in terms of in terms of corporate communications, um, which is difficult. The other thing, Simon, you mentioned, which I think is really interesting, is the human impact is really strong. I mean, in you know, that's somewhat uncommon compared to many crises. The fact that you know employees are maybe the primary stakeholder group in this case. Um, they're working from home, they're having to consider the impact on friends and family, particularly uh, older relatives. Um, I, I just wonder how, from your perspective, um, what kind of advice you give to corporates in that kind of situation, um, given that I, I would imagine a lot of crisis planning is quite external focused. Mm, it, it's a good point. I'll, I'll talk a little bit on this, but I know Michelle will have a, a lot of uh, a really valuable contribution here because she, she deals a lot with how companies deal internally quite a bit. But my, my feeling is it starts with making sure that you can continue to provide your, your product or service in a way that is safe to your employees. So can you continue operating and remain and do it in a way that's, that's safe? Once you get past that, you then start to think about, I think also, frankly, moder uh, modifying your expectations about how work gets done, what professionalism looks like in the workplace. Um, now, every now and again, uh, I have a, a three-year-old who decides to crash one of my video conferences. And <laughs> perhaps the couple, you know, a few months back, I might have felt a bit embarrassed if that happened uh, when it was an important client call. Now, you know that those that's the those are the breaks, and um, I've reset my expectations. I've told my team the same, and I'm sure. Uh, uh, the clients I'm dealing with understand too. Um, so I, I, I think everybody understands that these are diff quite different times and that you have to find different ways of, of working and managing. Also, using technology in particular, I, I think is a way of staying connected even when your workforce is dissipated is really important. Um, our, our teams in Beijing use uh, Zoom and, we and WeChat video chats quite a lot to make sure that we continue to get face-to-face -face access even when we're not able to be physically in the same space. And that's really important because the connection, you know, you, you get cabin fever, uh, literally uh, stuck at home and your ability to, to be productive uh, seems to fall that on certain types of work anyway, when you're, when you're not able to be face to face with people. So I think those sorts of things become very important. You know, there's a big, a big, big focus on employee well-being in ways that you could never, you never took it, granted before but it was easier to achieve I suppose but Michelle you probably have something you can build on there I think the the main point is that in such times we over communicate rather than under communicate uh, with employees and this starts really from the BCP or the business continuity plan that an organization has um, it needs to have a task force built around it in order to lift you know the, the the important bits of the bcp um look at how the government is advising what companies should do um creating again your own set of how you are actually going to respond to every every time the needle moves on this situation and and really communicating that to employees um i think that you know We've heard in the very early days, um, a lot of people, a lot of conversations going on about 
hey, what's your company doing? And our company's not doing that. And oh dear, are we, you know, behind the curve, right? And so um, it's really important for organizations to over-communicate during this time. Um, so that employees really know what they need to do um, when, whenever, you know, an initiative is launched. Um, I agree with you, Simon. I'm feeling the cabin fever <laughs> very, very much. <laughs> um, and, mm -hmm. uh, and we had a conversation within our BCP team um, just yesterday, and it was very much around cabin fever and uh, looking at how we can actually help alleviate some of that. Um, I've told my team, for example, let's have lunch over Zoom and let's have a look at each other and see how we're doing, you know, because we're very social mm -hmm. by nature. Um, and so being, you know, just hold up at home, it's, it's quite difficult. So that's an area I think that, you know, organizations also need to look into. Um, it's not just about providing them with the tools and ways of working, but also this aspect, you know, in order to, to help us all maintain our sanity somewhat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you think the lessons will be for companies? I don't know if it's too early to say, um, but as we look ahead, what kind of crisis lessons do you think they will derive from this current situation that perhaps weren't as apparent before? I, 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 I would argue there are really three lessons, and I don't think that they're different from before. So it's really communicate fast and early. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the, the, if anybody, if, if China's getting criticized for anything, it's, it's just uh, communicating quickly uh, and, uh, and early. Um, second would be to be open and transparent. And then the third would be, you don't have to have all the answers, but you need to be seen as, as doing the right thing. Right. I, I, I would put down those as three lessons, and that's not different from others, mm -hmm. but it seems to be a more acute with, with COVID-19. Mm. Michelle, Simon, do you have anything you want to add to that? The only thing I think I would add is a little bit sort of maybe reiterate the point I made before, which is don't just think you can prepare, you, you are prepared if you've prepared for all of the scenarios you can imagine, right? Um, this was not, this was well beyond the imagination, I think, of a num quite a lot of organizations until quite recently. This doesn't, this just doesn't, what some, wasn't something that we were, were ready for. Um, so it, it's about building in the flexibility, the resilience, the ability to move at speed within your organization as much as, much as it is about having a specific, uh, very detailed enumerated list of different scenarios and your, your mitigation measure, measures. It's much more about uh, frame of mind than it is about a, a very strict list of things that you know how to deal with. Mm, Michelle? Um, no, I agree with, I agree with uh, Scott and Simon. Um, I think the lessons that organizations will take away from this is, firstly, they've got, uh, they've got to refresh their BCP um, because I think a lot of a lot of the um, the BCP terms were, you know, probably 
SARS, you know, in, in terms of, of pandemics, you know, it was really looking at it from a SARS perspective and now they've got to refresh it um, to a COVID-19 perspective. Um, and also to ensure that, you know, they have the teams in place, everyone's got a role um, in order to navigate through the crisis. So organizations need to be prepared to that extent. But like Simon says, you know, you're, you're never prepared enough because you don't know where um, the, the situation will change um, and to what extent. So there needs to be some flexibility as well in terms of the response but completely agree with, with Scott. It's, it's all about transparency and being early um, and uh, and your information to all of your stakeholders. And perhaps the last thing here is you need to get used to this. Um, this is the second time for me in the last three months that I haven't been, that we, we sort of been kicked out of where we were planning to be. We, we were, the bushfires in Australia uh, around Christmas evicted us from where we were supposed to be. And now this is, taken us away from home as well. Um, this is a world that to, it strikes me as becoming more uncertain, more disrupted, uh, and potentially the, opportuni the, the opportunities for, for fairly serious crises to, um, to emerge, be they environmental, health-related, political, uh, social, economic, um, are heightened. I think we, we, we've had a... a realistically a very comfortable 30 40 years and and now things are going to be a little bit more a little bit more challenging for us so we we just all need to be get need to get used to this as well mm. just do any of you find that you're having to tell your clients to actually be more visible um, and resist the temptation to go silent yeah i, I I have a specific example. I can't tell you the name yeah, of the yeah. client, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm working sure. with a client who's in an industry that's very disrupted, and they're they're concerned that if they don't know for certain what they're going to be able to offer their customers in the coming weeks and months, they don't want to say they don't want to say anything at all in case what what they do say ends up being wrong. Um, and so they've sort of resorted to fairly bland brand marketing. Uh, because they know it's safe and they, you know, they, they, they can't, they feel they can't get that wrong. Um, my feeling is that, and our advice to them has been that you need to be both more relevant to what your customers are, are going through at the moment. So you need to speak to the disruption that quarantine, quarantine is causing, the uncertainty that exists in their life. Uh, and mm. you, can, you can also be a bit more honest and transparent and say, look, these are the things that we hope to be able to deliver and offer to you in the coming months, but uh, there, is, there are no guarantees today. Um, and I think the third thing that we'd really, we suggested them, suggesting that they might do is to use the platform that they have through their social channels to actually address some of the damage that the uh, COVID-19 is creating. That's not just, uh, you know, spreading good health information so that people do flatten the curve, practice good social distancing, good hygiene and so on. But it's also addressing some of the, the paranoia and the xenophobia that, that it has sprung up uh, alongside mm. this. Um, and, you know, we, we're certainly seeing a lot of fairly unpleasant anti-China uh, sentiment out there. And um, 
brands can help address that as well. Scott? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I concur with, with Simon. I, you know, I, I kind of think there's a balance. So, you know, I, I, I equate this to being on a plane that's delayed and they, the, you, the captain comes on the plane and announces every two, three minutes what's going on. And at some point, <laughs> it just exasperates you because mm. you're not getting any good news. So I, I do think that there's like a balance between, you know, you have to communicate. You have to communicate often. Uh, you have to show some positivity mm. and some direction or at least some transparency on what's happening, but you know, you know, you're doing the best you can do in given these circumstances and this is what's going to transpire. But uh, um, it's definitely putting lots of people into challenges. Think about, I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh, sc schools and tuition payments. And I just, you know, obviously paid uh, tuition for my son in, in college. And I was on an email with a, a parent who's also <laughs> questioning whether he should pay the final semester. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a, <laughs> you know they're, they're going to do online courses and, you know, it's tragic. They, they may not have a graduation. Uh, mm. but this is a new reality. And, uh, I, I think sometimes you need to be a bit as a consumer of these things, you need to be a bit understanding that not every organization is perfect in the way they do these and they're figuring it out. But, uh, those organizations need to be communicative mm. and thoughtful and probably not overdo it. Sure. Um, Michelle, any thoughts? So we've, we've had some conversations with clients about how to look at the months ahead of us, right? Um, and right now we are in, again, as mentioned, a heightened state where we're seeing a number of import cases. Um, but the question mm. is, have we hit rock bottom yet? And what is the point uh, that will tell us that we are in recovery? So we're looking at the different scenarios in those three areas. So one is status quo, then as we move, move towards a, an even worse situation and then recovery. And we're, we're asking them, what's the story you want to tell throughout this period? Um, and what are the mini stories you want to tell as we are in these different periods? Um, and it's really important for them not to disappear um, and to also ensure that they are, you know, um, that they remain top of mind. So what's the story you can tell so that when we are looking at recovery, you are bouncing back and not just, you know, walking or crawling back. So, you know, so some of these conversations are now taking place um, and we're helping them to plan around that. I think Michelle's point is really, really important because we know you, 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 we need to be focused focused on how brands are going to recover 
now, even if we don't know whether that recovery is three months from now, six months, nine months, whatever. And one of the core messages that I think pretty much every brand is going to want to try and deliver is we were there for you then, we're here, we're still here for you now, come back, right? And the brands that decide to clam up, the black, the brands that focus perhaps more on themselves and less on what their customers were going through during this time, we're gonna again have a pretty hard time of explaining when it's all over, when that they weren't just fair weather friends, right? They weren't just there when it suited them and then uh, you know went into a ball when times got tough. Um, I, I, mm. I really think that it's it's very important for brands now to be doing, not as Scott said, right up, right up, right up the front. This isn't about marketing anymore. This is much more about doing doing your part, seeing how it is that you can help uh, address these issues um, and be relevant to to your customers and your clients when they're going through these tough times. Yeah. But just not not hiding. Hey, Arun. There are two things that, that both Simon and Michelle said, and that's plan for the recovery. Mm. And, and the exciting thing, I'll tell you, I've had a couple of conference calls this week. I have some next week on what are we going to do once we come out of this? How mm. do we go big? Actually, there's a lot of discussion about brands now about what do we do to show our commitment to you know, establish ourselves, reestablish ourselves once we come out of this. So I think organizations need to be doing that now. The other thing that Michelle said was, what's the, sto- what's the narrative? What's the story you want to tell? Mm-hmm. We have one client that has begun a massive internal campaign focusing on the internal heroes that make up this company. This is a company that has a very strong culture and people are very proud to have worked there and they're capturing all those internal stories so they can, you know, that can be part of the whole narrative that they're going to have coming out of this. But I think if you want to, if you think through and visualize those stories coming out of this, um, it's a really good exercise to do with your team in in preparation for when we when we do come out of this Mm. do you think in general companies think seriously enough about the recovery phase of crisis management uh not enough Mm. i mean uh so uh the as an organization we've been working on this what we call it brand shield Mm. And uh, we've been operating this crisis product for many, many years, and we've just uh, refreshed it. Um, and with lots of data input, and uh, it's got four steps. Um, it's all about uh, readiness, sure. risk mapping, uh, uh, recover, response and recovery. Mm-hmm. And the, the most robust area that we've, and we collected our experience across, across uh, those four areas. And we have lots of experience in the first three and less so in the last. So mm-hmm. there needs to be a lot more done. I will tell you that historically we've been called on response and response to respond and help them manage this. Mm-hmm. And 
since we've developed this toolkit, we've gotten more engagements. And in fact, our first kind of quarter this year is looking not, you know, not so bad because we've got a number of these prep risk preparatory cases going on whereby companies have said, we want to be better prepared to handle crises and issues across the globe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's one particular bit that I think is that we've been asked for on several occasions that's really, I, I think, part of the whole modern marketing mix. But it's something Simon's been doing on kind of influencer assessment. Yeah, Simon, you want to t- tell Arun what you're doing in that case? Because I think it's, it's indicative of, of assignments that we're going to be doing a greater amount of in the future. Yeah, of course. Um, and look, it's, I think you're right that one of the things that we see brands increasingly uh, realizing uh, is that the company they keep in terms of the, the influencers uh, and others that they partner with it's hugely important to reflect on, reflects back on the brand now in ways that historically maybe didn't do quite as much of, and also uh, with a sort of more active woke consumer base, you've, you've got more people who are prepared to make a lot of noise and expect black brands to respond. So one of the things that we increasingly are asked to do is to help brands understand the risks involved in um, engaging with a particular influencer or set of influencers. And we'll go through and identify the areas that uh, brands need to be accountable to their um, customers on in relation to that, in relation to the market they're in, the, cus- uh, the customer expectations and so on. And, not, and these are increasingly onerous. I mean, the, and the, the, the expectations are very high on how brands will behave and should behave. And you've got to add in also the complication of working across different markets where a, a person may be particularly uh, particularly popular and well-loved in, say, mainland China, but not so much loved in perhaps Hong Kong or in Taiwan. And this is increasingly common. And how, do, how does a brand navigate that? Um, what are all, uh, any number of risks associated with um, types of behaviors that are legal or uh, socially acceptable in some markets, but not so much in others. Um, and we've been doing this a lot, particularly for a large global uh, cosmetics company, one of the biggest in the world. Um, we, we spent a lot of time the last 18 months uh, getting all of the key serious um, uh, partners that they're engaging with. And we, you'd be amazed at the types of problems you, you, you uncover and that, they, that haven't necessarily been been expected or anticipated. I mean, drug use, people, uh, blackface, um, social mm. attitudes, uh, religious yeah. beliefs, attitudes towards weapons, guns, all sorts of things. It's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, You're right. I mean, the, the whole threat environment, like, as you mentioned, does seem to have expanded in recent years. Um, do you think that's fair, or do you, or do you just do you think maybe there's more molehills than there are mountains these days? I I, I don't know about molehills and mountains. I suspect there are quite a few mountains still. I I think it's as much also that 
people are using influencers and key opinion leaders and so on as actual media channels now and they, and they become very reliant on those these people and that so because we brands are using them more then the their reputations become much more relevant and much more of a threat to organizations than they were in the past so i think it's it's partly driven by that dependence it's sort of a switch in the marketing mix uh all right part, part of what makes them a, a great influencer in one market could totally upset a consumer base in another market and so mm. the this tool mm. that simon's been using is to filter and to put a just to put a advisory on you know, we understand the influencers, what makes an influencer is they have a point of view. But uh, if this point of view makes its way into this market, for example, it could create some problems. And we're just trying to serve as a advisory firm in that respect so that, you know, uh, to guide the company. We, they haven't changed their, all of their influencer relationships but they definitely enter them in a much more careful way it's looked at the contracting what they're allowed to do things of that nature mm. well i feel like we could keep talking about this for quite a lot more because you know this this covid19 crisis um as we've discussed uh, there there are a number of layers to it a number of lessons um, but I'm mindful of, of, you know, I assume all of you have, have very busy days um, as we try and navigate our way out of this crisis. Um, so thank you all very much for your time. Um, I'm hopeful that the, uh, the conversation on this podcast has, has proven useful to our listeners. It's, I've certainly found it very insightful. I mean, a number of, of things um, that jumped out to me, uh, Scott, you mentioned that it's really about communications over marketing. Simon, you talked about the, uh, the importance of, of mindset. Uh, Michelle, you mentioned that it's now is the time to over communicate. And then I think, um, some of the other points that I think were really well received uh, around employee wellbeing, um, about the importance of multiple stakeholder groups. And of course, just the human cost in terms of um, of employee well-being. Mm. Uh, so, as we all know, it's it's a very uh, fluid situation. Um, I wish you all, you know, the best of luck. Stay safe, stay healthy. Um, for you, for for you know everyone you're you're connected with, and of course your clients as well. Um, and 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 thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Arun. We really enjoyed this. Yes, thanks so much. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast soon. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Marketeers.